each other and decide who goes first. <laughs> so apologies. Want me to start, Anne? I can't hear you, but there you go. I think you said yes. Um, yeah, she's muted. She yeah. is muted. <laughs> Give her the seal of approval. I'll make the most I, of it, shall I? I'm all um, now. I'm off now, rather. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, we were um, a small family who had a very, very happy childhood. And we thought we were Christians because we went to church twice a year. We went at Christmas and Easter. And we thought that was um, quite sufficient, really. Uh, but I think I always believed in God and always knew that there was something real about God. And when I was confirmed, um, I meant every <laughs> single word of it. Um, I really did. And I began at that point to start meeting Christians. Um, I also was given a Gideon's and... My mum and dad used to come upstairs at night and and they would find me kind of reading my Bible undercover with a torch. Because <laughs> I knew it there was something special about it. I didn't particularly understand it. It was an old translation. But I knew there was something about this book. And as I carried on through school, I began to get friendly with a girl called Alison, who she talked about Jesus as though she knew him. I knew about him. I knew a lot about him. I went to the Christian Union at school and uh, I must have prayed a prayer many, many times, but I didn't know Jesus. Mm. But I knew she did. And gradually I began to admit to myself that there was something different and I needed to, to do something. Mm. And the short version is that I walked out of school one night and I'd been invited to go and hear Billy Graham at Blackpool. And I had no idea who Billy Graham was. He was just, he was a famous person, but I didn't know mm. what that meant. Mm. And if I got as close as I, as close can be to hearing a voice speak to me and say, tonight's the night. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what that meant. Mm. And I went with a group of us from school and the whole row, well, in fact, I bargained with God and said, if anybody else goes forward, and I didn't know what going forward even meant, but I did know that I needed Jesus. I kind of said to God, if anybody else in this room goes forward, I will. And I had no idea that at events like that, hundreds flock forward. <laughs> and... It was lovely because there were three of us from our youth group who all became Christians and who are all still following the Lord now. So that was kind of the night. That was where I began my journey. And I'd love to say that my parents became Christians because I was an incredibly good witness and evangelist. Um, and that wouldn't be true. Mm. Um, I was quite shy about it. Mm. And it was only because my parents, along with my friend's parents, had discussions with each other. They basically thought that me and my friend Jane had become moonies because we were obsessed with going to mm -hmm. church. <laughs> and uh, they then began to investigate. And both our sets of parents also became Christians, which right is absolutely yeah. wonderful. Mm. So that was the beginning of my Christian life. 
and shortly after that I began to go to Fulwood Free Methodist. And if I look at the highlights, I kind of go back to really those days and mm. it was the people that I looked up to and they gave me a hunger to know God like they did. Mm. They had a walk with God um, that wasn't like they were walking three inches off the ground, but they mm -hmm. knew God, they walked with God and I had a hunger for that. And mm. It was in those services and particularly in the prayer meeting that I experienced the presence of God mm. and I couldn't get enough for it. I literally would leave one meeting desperate to go back for the next. Mm -hmm. So I say my parents became Christians and uh, that was absolutely um, a huge answer to prayer and was wonderful. But it was also the place in Fulwood where I began to experience the work of the Spirit in my life. Mm -hmm. And a lots of the services, there was a real presence of God, a real sense of conviction of the Spirit, and also um, a sense of awe and wonder in worship. And to me, that was the foundation for my Christian life and something that to me is an absolute highlight. And I will still go back to the days when I used to walk in the building and sense that presence of God. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'll stop mm -hmm. there and do her a little bit. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Well, for me, my story is the opposite to Karen. I was actually brought up in a Christian family, mm. which meant from I was no size, literally, and uh, I'm sure there's a few jokes going on now that I'm still no size. But um, my dad was a Sunday school teacher. So I think from before I was three year old, I was going and sitting on his knee when he was teaching his Sunday school class. And I was brought up knowing, well, sorry, I'll say hearing about the gospel and my need of Jesus and my need of salvation, uh, that I was a sinner. And that was very familiar to me. I heard that every week, more than once a week. It was uh, then when I got a bit older and uh, went to children's meetings. So in a week, I was hearing that gospel story many times, the good news of salvation. And when I was seven, there was one Sunday morning that I was at church. Uh, if anybody, I was brought up in the Brethren. Uh, the Brethren Sunday morning service was not geared in any way for children. So I was just there sitting a good little girl with my parents. And the chap that was speaking, one of the things he talked about was the second coming of Christ, that Jesus was coming back to take us to be with himself for those of us that knew him. And it was just like that hit me. And I thought, you know, my parents are Christians. If Jesus comes back, they will go to heaven. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, I'm not ready. And I knew mm -hmm. as a kid of seven, I didn't understand much else, but I knew I was a sinner and I knew I needed to ask Jesus into my life. And I simply came home from church that day, went into my bedroom, got down on my knees beside my bed and asked Jesus to come into my life. Mm -hmm. And... He's been there ever since, and he's been faithful, and I'm so thankful for that. To move on to some of the highlights, I think for me, um, some of the highlights were 
It was getting to know God, but it was things like uh, when I came to the end of school, what career I was going to take up. Uh, I took up nursing um, and I really felt that God had guided me into that. So those years in nursing, which were eight years before God changed my path, um, were very happy years. I really enjoyed them. I felt I was where God wanted me to be on um, my holidays in nursing. I would go on teams. Uh, it was an organization called Glow Gospel Literature Outreach and they used to go to Europe and do outreach teams over the summer. And I used to go on those every summer. And that got me interested in telling others about Jesus. So my nursing days were certainly a highlight. Then I guess the next big highlight was loving nursing, not expecting to change at that point. I felt God was calling me to go, and I'm cutting this story very short because um, it's a much longer story. But uh, as I assumed, I wanted to be a missionary at some point. I knew that. But I assumed I would be a missionary nurse. And when I applied for short-term work as a missionary nurse, I was turned down medically for overseas work. And I just felt that was the door shut. However, it wasn't because God, in a couple of years after that, God guided me to go to Bible school. I didn't know what was going to happen after that. And my years at Bible school were very formative on my life. And I really enjoyed them. They were very good years for me. And then when I was at Bible school, to make another long story short, God guided me into WEC International, for which Worldwide Evangelization for Christ, for which you know Karen and I work for now. And that's now over 30 years ago. And one of the things that I really admired about WEC was that the people in WEC, it was just like, I just looked up to them. They seemed to know God in a way that I didn't know God. Mm. Uh, and I, I did mean to say, by the way, that I accepted Jesus as my savior when I was seven, but it wasn't until I was about 14 that I realized that Jesus needed to be Lord of my life. And that was a very different thing than just having Jesus as my savior and giving Jesus the control and the authority in my life was something that happened at 14. And then when I, by the time I got into WEC, it was, it was this hunger to know God and looking up to other people. We have what we call the four pillars of WEC, which are holiness, sacrifice, fellowship, and faith. And those four words God has taken in my life and used them in a big way. And uh, we, you probably know the verse where it says, without holiness, no one can see God. I remember a phase in my WEC life where I prayed, Lord, I need you to make this real to me. I want to be able to see God. And then the faith one, there's the verse that you'll know well. Um, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Mm -hmm. And those principles, four, just four biblical words, really have had an impact in my life. And uh, finally, on the highlights, I guess big thing in my life is the word of God. The word of God, I, I'm not always as faithful as I ought to be, 
in reading it, but the word of God has had such power in my life and um, has caused me to get to know God in a way that I would never have done if it hadn't mm. been the word of God. It's guided me. It's helped me through the good times and the bad times. That's that's phenomenal. It's I mean this is this is an experiment that we we've not quite had in the sense of having two people that are telling the same story of God's incredible gracious work, but just displaying how uniquely tailored to your own background and your own uh, makeup and your own personality it is just proving God's wonderful creative way of. Of, of reaching out us all that's that's absolutely fantastic and it is always fresh uh, it's always fresh hearing those stories i am also fascinated apart from hearing about people's journeys of faith particularly realizing that for the vast majority of us as jesus followers the path is narrow and often it's uh, it's challenging which is not a surprise as this is what Jesus said. And I just wonder if you could share maybe some of the challenges in your life. And like I was hinting at the beginning of my prayer, in which ways has God demonstrated his faithfulness uh, to you so far? Okay, I'll start off. Um, it was actually really good reflecting on this. Um, mm. We had the questions ahead of time. Mm. Mm. Um, the first major challenge I think I mean after becoming a Christian with my parents and my family not being Christians was a challenge but kind of the first big thing I did as a step of faith was to move to Carnforth yes <laughs> yes Derek will remember me in um, it was I, it was at that time you didn't know about Derek, otherwise you wouldn't have moved into Canford. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could tell you lots of uh, stories about those early Ooh, days. Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, carry on, carry on. Sorry. Competing with the dog show was fascinating. Thankfully, <laughs> full. Um, but it, it was a huge challenge because I moved up and really, apart from doing mission in Carnforth, um, I really didn't know anybody and there was an age gap, sorry Derek, but there was an age gap and uh, it was a pretty lonely place to be in. Um, the fellowship were amazing and eventually Joyce and Stephen with their mm -hmm. girls joined and at last there was somebody that was younger, but it was difficult. My, my father did come into my house once, but he died four months after I moved Mm. and uh, that devastated us as a family and mm. that was a real a real challenge mm -hmm. but God showed me something very important there that I I went through a very very brief spell during that where I said to God why you've let me down you've promised and you've promised mm. to be good to me and this has happened and God spoke very very clearly again to me and talked to me about trust and the fact that what had let me down was the image I had of God and mm -hmm. that was shattered but God mm -hmm. himself hadn't let me down at all mm -hmm. and that really did encourage me and speak to me and got me through a very very difficult start to life up here so that was a challenge that's 30 years ago <laughs> since moving 16 years ago 
um, I lost my sister. So that was another real blow to the family, um, especially to my mum, who did struggle a lot with depression. Mm. And I miss growing up really with my sister. I mean, she was a lot older than me. And although I'm in touch with her children, my niece and my nephew, one of them lives in Canada and the other one lives down south. And I don't see much of them, mm. as you can imagine. So that's been a real challenge, not having her around. Mm. Um, you know, and yet again, I've seen God answer prayer and I'm very thankful for FaceTime. <laughs> you know, mm. but, and I don't understand why it happened, but, you know, I just trust that God knows and God understands. Mm. Um, but it, that is a challenge. And then last, well, not lastly, thirdly, um, my mum suffered with Alzheimer's mm. for eight mm. years. And it was an incredibly stressful journey. Mm. Um, very, very difficult. And I struggled greatly with mm. anxiety through that. Mm. The last, probably the last year um, of that journey, the Lord was very, very gracious. And I spent many precious hours literally <laughs> sitting with her. And I learned an awful lot. There's a book written by a Christian about dementia. And I didn't really get beyond the title because the title spoke to me. And the title was The Power of Presence. And I learned what it was to sit with my mom. She didn't know who I was. She couldn't communicate with me. And God just used that to show me that we are human beings, not human doings. She couldn't do anything. But I learned what it is to have my value in God because of who I am and who he's created me to be. Mm. And uh, I had a lot of time with her, being able to sing to her, to pray just to be with her, even mm. though she, in a way, wasn't with me. And it also, that time, gave me an absolute longing for heaven. And that's something I know that Anne has as well. The reality of heaven became very, very real mm -hmm. to me, and mm -hmm. that assurance. And there's a lot of things in life that we think God said, we think God's promised, and time will tell, to be honest. Mm. there's one thing i am absolutely certain about and that is that one day i'll be with jesus mm -hmm. um, mm. and i think that really you know mm -hmm. that was an amazing lesson to learn mm. the other big challenge and you know a path of faith really is that 14 years ago i left um, a very nice secure job as a teacher to live a life completely dependent on the Lord for everything. So I left teaching and joined uh, the WEC family as a mission mobiliser. And perhaps talk about that a bit later on. God promised me and I was able to testify to the staff at school who really thought I was a nutter, really. Um, my head teacher at the time told me that I was butchering my career. Um, I probably, well, I was. But uh, the Lord knows but he promised me that i would have everything i need straight mm -hmm. from the word the lord is my shepherd mm -hmm. and i will have everything i have everything i need mm -hmm. and it's not an easy path at all 
but God has been faithful. And I don't mm. think God's going to change tomorrow either. Mm. Anne. Thank you. Um, for me, the challenges, uh, I, I guess the, uh, the first big challenge that I faced having been at Bible school, uh, come into WEC, had very good years. I was, wasn't even in WEC two years when I developed ME and for two years was off ill with ME. And I just, at the beginning, did not understand it. God had called me, I'd been obedient and I had ME, I could do very little. And what I was reading Oswald Chambers one day, my utmost for his highest, some of you may know the book and be very familiar with it. And it said at the top of the page, uh, it was from John uh, 17. Now this explains it, that he and I may be one as he and the father are one. And that just blew my mind because I had been praying. I said to you that I, I was looking up to people that I, my prayer of my heart was that hunger for more of God and to know God in a more personal way. And that was just God confirming to me and starting to show me the path of getting to know him better. I read, um, three books at the time uh, they're all fairly small books and they're all old old christian classics one was the calvary road by roy hessian one was we would see jesus by roy hessian and the other was intimacy with god by floyd mcclung mm -hmm. and that intimacy with god because of the story i'm telling you that book mm -hmm. of course the title sold it to me so I bought it, brought it home, opened it and thought, this is going to be a great book, Intimacy with God. And do you know what the book was all about? It was each chapter was on things like a critical spirit, a judgmental attitude, bitterness, unforgiveness. And so it went on. Mm -hmm. And God started to show me that if I really wanted to know him, it's back to that holiness pillar that we talked about. I needed to allow him to, to reveal to me the areas of sin that were in my life. I think it's easy for us as Christians to become a Christian and to think because we've repented to become a Christian in the first place, which we do, that there's no need for repentance. But Paul says, as you've begun the Christian life, so you have to carry it on. And for me, um, those, those three books, The Calvary Road, We Would See Jesus. And as I read those, those two in particular, I thought those two men know God in a way that I don't know. But living with uh, ME was challenging. But what I did realize was that God in his graciousness took that and used it to transform my life. I sometimes use the illustration about uh, daffodils. When you plant them in the autumn, um, you plant them, they're in the dark, they're underground. Nobody knows they're there but you unless you've planted them there. And yet, when it comes to the spring, they bloom. And it was very much that that was a winter season, as I called it. 
but a winter season that was being productive for God to change my life in a way that became a little bit more pleasing to him. He still has a whole lot more work to do on that. Uh, then the rest, uh, many of you will know that I've lived for many, many years now with chronic back pain. So really my health has been one of the big challenges. Uh, living by faith has been another one of which God has been very faithful. Uh, I remember one day um, I had 20 pence left. It was in the era that that would buy you a pint of milk. I bought a pint of milk and I didn't know what on earth I was going to do. I had a missionary coming over from England to stay with me. This is when I was in Northern Ireland and I was to pick her up at the airport and I had no petrol in the car. Mm. And I thought, oh dear. So I prayed and asked the Lord to provide. And I went over to my parents for my tea. I had my tea. I came back to the house just before I went to the airport. And there was a 20 pound note through the door in an envelope anonymously. And just at the right time, God provided. And at the same time, in that same week, God provided a brand new computer for me that someone bought me. And that was my first computer. And someone else bought me a microwave uh, combination of them. And they both came, those gifts came to about a thousand pounds at the time, which was an awful lot of money. So obviously I didn't get the money, but I got the gifts. And I just thought, God is so faithful. Um, so living by faith has been a challenge, but I, I want to emphasize the faithfulness side of God, not just the challenge. And then I moved um, over to England, was the next big challenge for me um, from Northern Ireland. I'd been working with WEC in Northern Ireland and I moved over here and God used uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Where God said to Abraham, he wanted him to leave his home and his family. And Abraham didn't know where he was going. But the last four little words of that verse are, he says, I will show you. And God promised that he would show me. And this is the end of the story. I ended up here living in Wharton, first of all, and then moving to Carnforth. And I've been here for almost 30 years. Um, I think that's enough on that. That's, that's again, very rich and very encouraging. And again, I, can I just stress, I, I love the sense of uh, reality and relatability in, in some of the many ways uh, both you have um, faced the challenges of life, but also experienced God's faithfulness in it. And it's just encouraging uh, to, to hear that, that testimony in it. I think for me, both of you are synonymous with mission. If I think of each of you individually and both of you together, I think of your great passion for mission, which has already come out in, in the things that you've shared so far. But I would just be curious, where did that come from? Okay. Um, there's lots of ways in a sense of answering that. Um, one thing I can say is that I went to the Christian Union um, at 
school and as I say in the sixth form and as soon as I did become a Christian my then maths teacher um, for those of you who don't know I went on to be a maths teacher was a Christian and lent me book after book after book and I just loved reading and they were all missionary stories um, and that kind of was fed to me from a variety of sources but I don't I didn't recognize at the time um, that that was really anything to do with my life and my future although I did walk out of a children's holiday club when I was 10 and announced that I was going to be a missionary and I had no idea what I was saying at all God, obviously, I would think had a smile on his face to hear me say that. Um, I think if I sum up why I'm in mission and why it's important to me, the best way I can do it, there's a song that's become very popular um, over lockdown where the question's asked, is he worthy? And the congregation all reply, he is. You probably know the song I mean, mm -hmm. beautiful. I was always passionate about worship. Um, I still am. That's where I sense the presence of God. And worship takes many forms. But he is worthy. He is. There's no kind of no question about that. And in John 4, Jesus says that the Father is seeking worshippers. And we know in Revelation that that's the ultimate picture in heaven, that we're going to be around the throne, worshipping the Lamb. And we've all got a part to play. Why are we left on earth? It's logical to me that there must be a reason. God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And I believe it's really that we play our part in making Christ known so that other people have the chance to worship him because he is worthy and the statistics and the facts are that a third of the world have never heard about jesus have never heard the gospel know nothing and at the moment they can't worship him and we're here to do something because he is worthy mm. also i've got a heart for discipleship and for continuing to grow and mature as a follower of Jesus. That's my passion to, you know, to follow him and to walk alongside others who are growing and maturing in Christ. And we, we did some study over lockdown as um, mission mobilizers and looked at the words mission, discipleship and worship. And after watching lots of videos and hearing lots of podcasts and discussion, we came up with there's very little to separate the three things. They're all part and parcel. When Jesus um, you know, commissioned us all, it was to go and make disciples, which means I need to be a disciple and I need to be making disciples. So for me, it's, it's sort of come from a passion for worship and a passion because I think that Jesus is worth it. And at the moment, there are people who don't know him and don't have any means of knowing him. Mm. So hopefully that, mm -hmm. that kind of answers it. 
Yeah, I think for me, um, I could take it uh, from the same angle as Karen, but I, I have taken it from a different angle. I think for me, um, it was certainly, we had, at the church I went to, we had missionary speakers. So we actually had, I can't remember whether it was a weekly or a monthly uh, missionary speaker. So some of my passion definitely developed from hearing, having the opportunity. Uh, we had some of them home to uh, give them hospitality. And so you were talking to them in my own home environment. Um, mm. and, and that was something that certainly helped my passion for mission. I think as well, attending conferences. So I was very keen any conferences that were going, the Bangor Worldwide Missionary Convention is going a very long time where I was brought up. And it's a very well-known convention in Northern Ireland. And I used to go to it. I couldn't wait till every September came round until that would come on. Mm. And I was at every meeting that was possible. And there was a lot on. Um, I wouldn't have the energy to uh, do it at the same stamina now. <laughs> that I did then, but uh, so attending conferences. So I, th I think if you want a passion for mission and you haven't got it, certainly reading books uh, is another thing, which uh, has definitely been a big factor in it. Um, podcasts, I did the Karis course, which is a course uh, unpacking the biblical basis of mission and that course had an absolute profound impact on my life. And that really gave me a heart for the unreached. You know, we so often pray for folk when they go away. So we have folk out from our own church. And it is very easy to remember to pray for them. At least it's easier to me to remember to pray for them. But we don't always pray for the unreached people that they go to. Mm -hmm. And for mm. them to be able to stay mm. and be well and be healthy mm. and get on with the job, they need us to pray for the mm. unreached peoples as well, that God would open their eyes and that the, those blind eyes would be open. So that was something else that uh, is a real passion of, of mm. mine. Uh, the word of God uh, mm. for me is something that most of you that know me has had a huge impact in my life. Um, and I, I remember when I had the ME, I literally, uh, for any of you that know Daily Light, um, the, which mm. just has just scripture verses, that's all it is. Mm -hmm. And the top mm -hmm. line is just one line out of mm -hmm. one verse. Mm -hmm. And when I was purely with ME, I literally could read that one line of one verse. Mm -hmm. And that God really used mm -hmm. to keep me going during that time. So the word of God is also where I've got my passion. Um, and I remember at one point uh, early on in my ministry, I didn't feel that I really had uh, a passion for evangelism in the same way as I had for mission. And I remember one day driving down from uh, into Belfast and there's a large church in the right and it had this big sign on it. And I'd been praying to the Lord that he would give me a passion for the for those who didn't know him. And I had this big sign on it, Ulster still needs Jesus. 
And that sign that day just was God taking it and answering the prayer of my heart. It was real to me. It probably doesn't sound particularly real to the rest of you, but for me that day, Ulster still needs Jesus mm. was what God used to uh, light a fresh uh, spark of passion. And I was involved in a Bible study ministry that was being used as a tool for evangelism. So it was pretty important that I had a heart for evangelism. <laughs> and because I didn't feel I had it the way I should have, I asked God and he showed me that. Mm -hmm. And finally, it's just the line, just to carry on from what Karen said. Karen talked about worship. And just to give you Piper's quote that many of you will know, that when I think of passion for mission, I always think of mission exists because worship doesn't. And I love that quote because one day there won't be a need for mission, but there will always be a need for worship of God around the throne. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's why. So one day there won't be any need for it, but there will always be worship. Jesus for all that he's done for us because he alone is worthy mm -hmm. wonderful sometimes our site is um, very much focused on either our own lives or the very immediate and even the news coverage um, be it secular or even Christian news you are privileged to hear, I guess, a lot of stories about what God is doing around the world. And I just wondered if you want, if you, if you had a story that you've come across recently or a testimony that you'd have heard that you can share with us for encouragement about the fact that God is at work around the world. I'm going to let uh, Karen answer this one because we uh, both will probably be giving the same answer to this one. Hi. Yeah. I, I've just read a 39-page um, update on what WEC is up to around the world, and uh, it was mind-blowing, to be honest. God is at work absolutely everywhere. And I remember in the early stages of lockdown, hearing, listening to something, and somebody prayed and said, you know, that Jesus said, um, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I just watched over COVID um, how things have changed. And God is absolutely building his church. Um, it is remarkable. Having said that, the visa issue um, is a huge thing to pray for. So I know it affects one family that we know um, very much so at the moment. But if you are praying for those working overseas, please just pray for visas for those um, that need them. I want to just tell you very briefly about a couple that we met two years ago and have kept in contact with. Um, their names are Joe and Anna. Anna is Korean and Joe is from Liverpool. And if you meet Joe, he's a big Liverpudlian with um, a history. He's been in prison, he's been a drug addict, um, totally addicted to cocaine, and he was in a bad bad place um, 10 years ago God turned his life around through um, one of the WEC ministries called Bethel some of you may have heard of Bethel which is a drug and alcohol um, addiction rehab kind of program center 
and Joe ended up in Hexham, where he met um, Anna, who was working there. She was already part of WEC, and she was on placement over in Hexham. And his life turned around because of Jesus. And his testimony is incredible. So two years ago, they came to us because we were the nearest kind of link in the, the WEC chain. And we got to know them, spent some time with them. And they went to Cornerstone in the Netherlands, where some other people you know have mm. been. And we've also just sent another couple from Liverpool to there as well. Um, Joe, as you can imagine, from a very troubled background, thought studying was totally out of his reach. And two years on, he's graduated from Cornerstone, from the college, and God has just absolutely been faithful the whole way through. He has a heart, along with Anna, to serve in South Africa. They did a placement there during the first lockdown and found it very hard to get back out. But they did eventually, on one of the last planes, out of South Africa. But they are now um, accepted into WEC and ready, now visa um, hopeful to go back <coughs> to South Africa to work in the townships, really just showing the love of Jesus on the streets to those who have nothing. Mm. And both of them, I mean, it's a very, very risky place to be. Um, worldwide, the impact of COVID fueled with the economic situation that that's brought means that a lot of countries have rising tension and unrest and some countries are really struggling in all <coughs> ways, uh, politically and economically, and the mental mm. health um, crisis. So they are going into very, very difficult territory. But their passion to get out there and to get involved and to see lives changed um, is immense. So really just the testimony that God is building his church regardless of what situation is going on. The other thing that's happening around the world, and I've got to be careful that I'm very general about this, is the Muslims that are turning to the Lord. And there are a lot of Muslims, including imams, so the, some of the key people in their communities, who are really being dissatisfied with what they've got and are seeking truth and encountering the Lord um, in many ways. One of the impacts of COVID, as we've seen, is that things are now online in a much, much bigger way. And this has meant that people have access to the gospel who maybe didn't beforehand. And we are seeing people engaging with Christian radio, Christian media um, in a new way. But pray because God is doing a work, but the, the enemy is a big, obviously he's not happy. And those people becoming Christians and leaving behind uh, their communities, their families uh, and their culture really is very, very difficult. Mm. So, yeah, God is certainly at work. Um, but, yeah, I could tell you lots and lots of stories, but uh, I'll stop. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I also know that you're embarking on a new journey in life. 
And I wonder if you can tell us a little bit uh, more about it, how, how it came about, what's, uh, what's ahead, and how can we encourage and support you right now uh, as part of that journey? Yeah, that's right. Um, this is going to be backwards and forwards in between the pair of us. I'll start. The plan really from a long time ago was that um, I would move when I was financially able to move, i.e. when my mum died, um, then I probably would be able to move somewhere. So the idea of moving sort of has been around for a while. And I've been to Northern Ireland many times and we used to joke about, oh, I could retire here, it's lovely. Um, I'm not that old. <laughs> um, and then we talked to a few people about it, one of whom was Anne's mum. Now, bear in mind, up to there, everyone's going, oh, that sounds great. Oh, that's exciting and being very positive. And I remember Anne's mum just turning to me and saying, what on earth? would an English girl want to do moving to Northern Ireland? <laughs> <laughs> I was floored. And I, uh, it's, you know, well, and uh, I don't think she quite meant it quite mm. as negatively mm. came across. We went to church on the Sunday morning and the visiting speaker was preaching from Ruth. And I was sat across the aisle from Anne's mum. And of course, in Ruth chapter one, we came across the verse, um, your people will be my people. And you know that feeling when you think God's saying something here. Hmm. So I just kind of, kind of looked, but didn't catch her eye or anything. And I thought it's just me really, but I was quite, you know, quite encouraged. As we walked out of church, she came dashing over to me. Karen, did you hear that? Did you hear that verse? That your pe did you hear that? And she really had been spoken to me by the Lord as I had. And I went, yeah, I did. Um, and in a sense, that was a miracle, really, because I don't think it's quite the conversation we would normally have had dissecting the sermon afterwards, to be honest. Um, but both of us just had that sense that God was saying something about it, Anne. Yeah, well, for me, um, I had no intentions. I was the opposite of Karen. I had no intentions of moving. I was staying in my house. <laughs> I liked my house and I was staying in it. Uh, but I remember when I moved to England, saying to myself, now this, this wasn't a God thing as far as I'm aware, um, but it was, I just said to myself, I, I just wonder, I think I might retire back to Northern Ireland in my retirement. And uh, so that was my possible plans. Um, it sort of never left me that, yeah, I might do that. In spite of the white hair, I'm not retiring age either yet. Uh, so I certainly hadn't planned to go at this stage in my life. And when we started looking seriously at thinking about, was this God that was prompting us? Um, it, it was a real challenge to me. I felt uh, in one sense, I didn't want to move. And as time went on, 
it it became more evident to me that this was God speaking and that it would be a case of me being obedient or not obedient really to him. So then we were at a, a conference with work and our regional coordinator for Northern Ireland happened to say that he was far too busy with all the work that a regional coordinator was involved in to do mission mobilizing and that he'll probably have to drop that aspect of the work. Well, our ears popped up and we thought that means there's an opportunity for mission mobilizers, which is the same job that we're doing here available in Northern Ireland. So that was, that was really another confirmation that God had given to us to, uh, that he was in this. So we decided in July, end of July, beginning of August, to put our houses on the market. We've been thinking about this for a long time and we thought we want to test the market. We want to trust God if this is, let's settle this for a while now. Karen either moves house and moves more locally and I stay put or we move to Northern Ireland. So we'll put the house on and we'll trust God. And we really did pray that he would give us an open door or a closed door that would get a green light or a red light. So that's what we did. And within, was it two days, Karen? Two days, Karen's house sold. And within two weeks, mine sold. It went very, very quickly. So that was a, a definitely a shock to us, but one that we really felt God's hand was in. Over to you, Karen. I carry on. Um, obviously, making decisions like this, we began to involve um, more people. And we both um, have someone mentoring us um, through work. And basically, everybody was very positive. But politically, you can see what's going on in the country. Um, lockdown is a bit tricky and makes everything more complicated and more difficult. And in the midst of just wondering what was going on, this was all moving too fast. Um, and yet it, it was just all became a bit overwhelming. I was listening to somebody preach on the letters to the churches in Revelation. And we came to the one in Philadelphia where the Lord says, see, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And again, it was one of those moments when I knew that was God's direct word. And I can't, I, I still think that God was just saying this is an, a new chapter, you know, and that no one, nothing can shut it. Um, so that was very, very powerful. Anne read the verse and... Yes, I decided to read the verse... And to go a little bit further, because these, these two verses that I'm going to read to you came in my first Christmas prayer letter from someone. You've gone ahead. Um, you've gone ahead. Revelation. Okay, I'll just, I'll just do the first one. No, no. You need, <laughs> you need to go back to the verse in Revelation. 
Yes. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yes. I was going to go to that, but I mixed them up. Yes. Okay. Sorry. So the verse in Revelation, no, just cut, cut, start afresh. <laughs> oh, it's, See, I have placed an open door before you that no one can shut. Well, I'd concentrated on that and I hadn't really noticed anything else until I came to the next line that says, I know you have little strength, yet you've kept my word. I know that you have little strength. Now, at the moment, I'm suffering from anxiety and depression, and I have very little strength. It is not, there's lots of reasons why this is not COVID. My health, on top of other things, is not a good time that you would naturally pick to be moving house. Mm. But God really gave me that as a promise. And that really did speak to me. And that is a, a rock on which I stand on at the moment mm. because it's getting very close and I still don't feel very strong. Mm. Yeah, so um, last Monday we heard from the solicitor that this is the solicitor in Northern Ireland, that there is a problem. And it could be a very big problem or it may not be, um, but the sales could completely fall through because of um, an issue to do with planning. Um, I was devastated, absolutely devastated. Um, I think we're so close to it now because we are due to move a week on Wednesday. Um, and obviously you've got to book ferries, removal companies, you all know those sorts of things. And again, I was listening to, I was actually in a prayer meeting and somebody read a verse really with a completely different agenda from two chronicles where it says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. you. And that just absolutely put into words. I thought, I don't even know how to pray. Mm. And one of the songs that we were singing in this prayer meeting, you'll all know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, mm. full in his wonderful face, and the things mm. of earth will grow strangely dim. And it really altered my focus back to, I need to look at, to Jesus because I believe he said this is an open door. Mm. The solicitor is saying this could all collapse. And basically, we don't know anything until tomorrow. So hopefully, hopefully we'll hear tomorrow whether it's going to be able to go ahead or not. So that was the verse that kind of has helped me this week. Faran, you can tell the next bit. Yeah. Well, actually, that verse, uh, Karen came in and told me that verse one day. And that very morning, that verse had popped into my head just, and I, when I say popped into my head, I know it was the Spirit of God within me that brought it to my mind. Uh, so it was just interesting that we both had confirmation of, of that one verse to us. But as I said, back to this prayer letter that I really did get with two verses on it. And um, it's, it's Psalm 78, verse 53, and it said, He led them safely so that they feared not. So this is us in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, not knowing what's going to happen. And that was the first verse. The second verse was Exodus 23, verse 20. He sent an angel before them 
to the place. Sorry, he sent an angel before them to the place. Now that's where it stopped on this prayer letter. So I looked up the rest of the verse and it says to the place that he had prepared for them. Mm. And you can imagine how mm. just mm. the number of times mm. I said to the Lord, thank mm. you, Lord, that you're sending mm. an angel ahead of us. So mm. we are trusting that we've got an open door that no man mm -hmm. can shut mm. and that the angel is going ahead of us. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. It's challenging. It's it's a, you know we had this conversation uh, uh, a good ten days or so ago, and it was one scenario, and then suddenly other things are being thrown in, and it's uh, yeah, it's a roller coaster journey for you. Um, so I think the best thing we can do um, right now, and the best thing we can do at any time, really is just to uh, pray for you, um, to uh, just continue to pray for, for you in the decision for tomorrow, um, to pray in faith for the move, for everything to fall into place uh, in the right way, for to pray for the ministry as you continue to um, serve in your passion and uh, for all those things. But maybe even specifically, do you guys want to throw in um, something? Yeah, the solicitor, the timing, mm -hmm. the, just the timings of everything, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the logistics of it, particularly with Anne's health. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a very, very challenging 10 mm -hmm. days. Um, settling in and making connections. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, because wearing a mask and not being able to go there in two weeks of extreme lockdown now, mm -hmm. um, just making those connections is going to be very difficult. We're already mm -hmm. um, involved with some of the team over there, uh, which is great. There will be about roughly about an hour and a half away, the rest of the team. Um, mm. But yeah, it's the settling in. It's the logistics of moving and the settling in. Mm -hmm. And the contract being signed early this week would give us a big peace of mind. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, we'll, 